Hey, everybody. It feels real good to be back. Thanks for being here with me today. About four and a half months ago, I made the biggest mistake of my life. I let alcohol get the better of me in a decision that I will never live down, a decision that has come at a great cost to me and my family. Today, I come to you not in shame, yes, embarrassed, but as I work through my own ability to forgive myself, I ask you to sit and listen with an open mind and heart. I put a ton of research and effort into podcast material in order to educate myself, create quality discourse, all while providing empathetic content. Now I ask you to be empathetic. What I am going to share with you are not excuses. Merely, they are the realities of what my husband and I have gone through in the past two plus years. I will also share with you some of my experiences at Hope Valley Treatment Facility. And most importantly, I will share what I learned about myself. My hope is that my experiences, my story, will help others come to understand that many of us may struggle with different weaknesses throughout life, whether it be mental health, a very important episode we covered earlier this season, emotional health, something I realized I needed to be more in touch with, alcoholism, addiction, eating disorders, anger and resentment, loss, abandonment, and many other struggles we may face in life. I have always believed that pain shared is pain lessened. I recently pled guilty to DUI charges, and unfortunately, my children were involved. The reality of what this meant was horrific. The embarrassment, the shame, the financial loss, the thought of explaining this to my children when they're old enough to search the internet. Mostly, I had to get to the bottom of why I found myself in that situation in that moment with a police officer knocking on my car window. The gravity of dealing with a situation like this in the public eye cannot be overstated. Entering myself into treatment, awaiting the legal system, dealing with international and national headlines, canceling my attendance at the Hall of Fame induction, it seemed embarrassment compounded on top of embarrassment. There were many days and nights of crying uncontrollably to having my very first panic attack. The thought of leaving my family behind to fend for themselves was almost unbearable. I had very little time to come to grips with spending 30 entire nights away from my home and my family. Now, before I speak about my experiences in those 30 days, I would like to go back a few years. Our journey towards pregnancy took the better part of three years with unimaginable ups and downs. Jeremy and I stayed the course. We lived a very healthy lifestyle. We lifted each other up. We stayed strong and never doubted our commitment to being parents. When our babies were born on March 4th, 2020, they stayed in the NICU for 20 days while the pandemic hit at full force. The hospital was about to only allow one visitor and Jeremy and I drove an hour and a half to the hospital every morning, stayed the day with Lozen and Vittorio and returned home late in the evening. I couldn't imagine doing it without him after coming so far. So what did we do? We did everything we could to get the twins discharged. I had no clue that the day we finally left the hospital and brought home our tiny babies would be the last time 
I would leave my home for over a year and a half. I couldn't risk getting sick while breastfeeding or bringing a virus home while the children were so small. We kept our children safe, and through our hard work and commitment and sacrifices, we had the ability to do so. You see, after leaving soccer in 2016, we uprooted our lives from Washington State, and we did so with the intent of purchasing land so that we could raise our kids with animals and in the outdoors with a sense of freedom. We had a completely new focus, and it was the best thing for me. I changed everything in my life, and it left me no time to mourn the sport I loved. I now had my heart and sight focused elsewhere. I was ready to say goodbye to the game and start a family in a different state. We focused our efforts on clearing our lands and creating a space that would let our kids run around free learning about life and on a farm, also about death, in an honest and natural way and far away from phones and social media and video games. They have the most joyous smiles and contagious laughs, picking up ducks, getting the chickenings, watching the peacocks, making donkey and cow noises, searching for otters, petting horses, and learning freely and openly. Creating this lifestyle was our only focus after a lifetime of sport and being in the public eye. This was our shared dream post-retirement, and we made the sacrifices to provide our kids with this exact lifestyle. So when the pandemic hit, we felt like there could be no better place to isolate and raise babies. Well, eventually, perhaps slowly, the effects of these realities began to creep up on me. We had children and nobody to share them with. Our family and friends do not live in North Carolina, and most of them live on the other side of the country. Suddenly, because of the pandemic, we had no support system and now had two tiny babies. We got to it. We put in the work. And not one single day in over two years have Jeremy and I had help or a day off. The sacrifices we made and parenting equally together as mother and father became a sense of pride. The days were long, very, very long. I was still working on an equal pay act with the Senate, my own equal pay lawsuit, commenting, working on a book and doing interviews from home. We both were exhausted day in and day out. Winding down with a drink was nice, and it's what we looked forward to doing. And, well, the drinking slowly increased. We found that it eased the stresses of our everyday lives, and we felt that we had the right to do so. We never drank and drove. We never went in public, and we woke up every morning to handle our business. I was foolish to think that I had it under control. The isolation had its toll on me. Yes, we chose to live this lifestyle while we were still traveling and before kids. Once the pandemic hit and now living across the country and without travel, we became further removed from our friends and family than we had ever intended. We were new parents with twins and suddenly had no support system. It wasn't even an option for us to share this beauty that we created with the ones we love the most. Many of these realizations didn't become clear until much later on. After giving birth, I never once returned to my OBGYN for postnatal care. I also knew nothing about postpartum depression. But I had heard the stories of a few of my friends and their experiences after giving birth. 
I remember looking it up one time and after sincerely assessing my emotional state, I felt that I did not fit the definition. I never looked it up again. And I felt at peace most of times, especially hiking with the kids in their backpacks and being outside. I felt proud of our land that I could get lost on. After speaking to my counselor while in treatment and after studying my own behavior and habits and struggles throughout the pandemic, I learned about the varying levels of postpartum depression. I don't know that it even matters that I was ever diagnosed with it or treated for it, but what I did know is that I needed my support system. They were in Seattle, Richland, LA, San Diego, Martin City, Montana, Dallas, and Phoenix. I learned that postpartum depression is not a character flaw or a weakness. Sometimes it's simply a complication of giving birth. I had some symptoms. Sure, I had unexplainable guilt, anxiety, restlessness, and fatigue. I also withdrew from friends and family. Some risk factors are having twins or multiple births, having a weak support system, family members who have had mood disorders, pregnancy complications, and more. I also came to realize that I completely lost touch with myself and even with my marriage. I put myself last. Sure, I needed some help, but I also knew that I didn't need it to survive. I am proud of the work we have done in raising our children, and all the hate on the internet or being mother-shamed around the world doesn't have the ability to take that away. Nonetheless, it resulted in stressful times, ones that were eased with a drink. In treatment, I was educated to the reality that my strength had become my weakness, my ability to compartmentalize and push forward through emotional pain in uncharted territory led me down a dangerous path. I didn't think I needed help, and I certainly wasn't going to ask for it. At the time, I didn't know that I was only doing a disservice to my family. I thought that I could white knuckle it, but the reality is that nobody gets through life without asking for help. My sense of strength and pride became my two worst enemies, and I found myself living the worst night of my life. I let alcohol get the better of me in this moment, on this god-awful day, and I will suffer the consequences for some time. Let me share some of the consequences in the hope that it will prevent others from finding themselves in such dire circumstances as I did. I will have to answer to my children in an honest and open discussion sometime in the future. I can't just leave this behind me. I put doubt in others of my ability and commitment to motherhood. I have disappointed my husband, my friends, and family, and it has caused arguments between Jeremy and me. I feel never-ending guilt, shame, and embarrassment. I was mother-shamed around the world. The financial burden is real. My income now will not go directly to my family, which is another layer of guilt that I must work to shed. I can't drive for an entire year, which is a massive inconvenience to my family and is a loss of independence. I have been used for shitty headlines once again, and once again, some accurate, many not accurate. But I gave the media and those who don't know me a reason to actually talk shit. I was responsible for allowing this negativity into my family and upon my name. 
I had to put the show on hold for over four months, a show that is filled with great producers and great people. I let them and my listeners down. For the first time in my life, I am embarrassed to see people. And for one of the few times in my life, I wonder what certain people think. No, not the trolls on the internet, but rather family members that I am not close with who don't know me, Jeremy's family for the most part, and all of the wonderful relationships that I have built throughout the world. These consequences will forever be a stain on my name and the guilt will stay with me for some time. Now, my experience in treatment was both awful and great. The day before having to leave the house, I almost fainted. I felt as though I couldn't breathe and I had my first panic attack and it was scary. It was one of the scariest things that I've been through. The morning I left, it was like pulling a Band-Aid off fast. I just had to pry myself away from my kids as they waved goodbye with grandma on our front lawn while Jeremy drove me further into the mountains to enter treatment. Watching my kids wave, knowing they had no idea how long I would be gone. Not understanding that I won't be returning that evening or the next day broke my heart. I smiled and waved out the window, then bawled when I could no longer see them around the bend. I bawled almost the whole way there. I was in shock when we got there. I told Jeremy to turn the truck around as soon as the GPS said we arrived. We were at the wrong location, and the house was a literal dump or a recycling yard. I felt my second panic attack coming. Just further up the hill was the actual cozy little white house in the mountains, Hope Valley Treatment Facility that has no more than eight women at a time. I could barely let go of Jeremy as he brought my luggage in. I got all checked in, drug tested, and my luggage sifted through and thrown in the dryer. Items taken from me like Melaleuca oil and my jump rope and hand weights. I then was introduced to what they call the Motley Crew, the other women patients of all ages. I was given time to get settled before attending my first meeting, and all I could do was sit and watch the neighboring horses and think of my family. During my first meal with the other women, I broke down again in tears, barely able to eat or breathe. There was something about the dining room table, the strangeness of not having dinner with my own family. People actually cooking for me and the others, nice home-cooked Southern meals made me feel guilty and helpless. After dinner on that first day, I moseyed around to find the fishing rods and realized they were in pretty dire shape. After dinner on that first day, I moseyed around to find the fishing rods and realized they were in pretty dire shape. We had decided to tell the kids that mama was going fishing. They are only two years old and probably won't remember when I was away for 30 days, but they certainly did understand when Papa went on fishing trips to bring home meat for us. I knew the home had a pond filled with bass, so we decided to tell them that Mama was going fishing, and when they fished at home with Papa, they could think of their Mama doing the same. I had to honor my promise to my kids and catch some fish. It's the only thing that would help my broken heart which meant trying to fix the rods. I spent a lot of time trying to get the rods into shape. Most didn't have reels. The reels that might be usable were rusted. The fishing tackle had cigarettes in it. Everything was knotted or broken. I put in some work and somewhat triumphantly went to the dock with a couple of rods. 
I wanted more than anything to be able to tell my family the next day when I was able to have my first call that I caught Vittorio a fish. All alone on the dock, I tested one rod. It wouldn't cast. I moved on to the only other rod I was able to get working. I casted it. And on the very first cast, the entire reel fell into the pond. And I stood there for who knows how long, frozen in shock, before once again bawling. That moment almost broke me. All of the emotions of failure flooded back. Nothing was going to be that easy. New rods were ordered. And on that first day that I finally did catch my first bass, we all screamed like little girls. These women shared in my joy in that moment, the same women I judgmentally told Jeremy that I couldn't live with for 30 days, addicts and alcoholics. I judged from afar. And when I realized that I became what I hated, I felt even more guilt. These women had common life struggles that affect so many people. They are intelligent, hardworking women, nurses and doctors, athletes, businesswomen. They are mothers and sisters and daughters. They were funny and warm, and they were and still are my friends and people I care about. In treatment, I went to five classes a day. We had the weekends mostly off to learn how to cope with boredom, which isn't really something I struggle with. I went on long walks with the other women, listened to music on the porch, laughed and cried and prayed and worked out and stretched and self-reflected. I opened up to strangers and made friends. One of the most difficult tasks I was asked to do was to write a complete drug and alcohol history from the first time to the memorable times to the bad times, as well as major life moments, good and bad. I was asked to also write about the feelings and memories that went along with each time I drank or smoked or had a great personal or professional victory or lost a family member or suffered a tragedy. I did not have my computer, so I hand wrote 70 pages and went over it with a professional in excruciating detail. Some patterns stuck out. This particular project allowed me to look deeply into the mirror. It forced me to see where and what I needed to change. For example, I was a very dedicated, committed, and self-disciplined athlete. I wouldn't drink or smoke marijuana for years in preparation for events. Then the event would be over, and whether in celebration mode or in coping mode, I would party. It made me deeply think about the sport culture going hand-in-hand -hand with drinking, something I would like to speak more about on a later episode. But think about that for a second. Winning the Olympics. Back-to-back -back games and focus, physical exhaustion, dehydration, and depleted bodies walking into a locker room filled with endless alcohol, followed by party after party sponsored by our own employers and major corporations. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I had a fucking blast. I guess I was one who always worked hard and played hard. And I thought that was normal and actually balanced. I also saw the pattern of drinking more during stressful times or times that provided me with major anxiety, like being on a live dancing show in front of millions or huge speaking engagements. My manager, my agent, my husband and friends all knew to bring wine or champagne to help me loosen up on stage. I clearly saw that throughout the pandemic and in isolation, I had no self-care whatsoever. I hadn't read for myself. I lost touch with prayer and meditation. Every ounce of energy I had went into parenting and providing for my family. After eight years of marriage and living happily for each other, 
we now had almost zero alone time. I know this is not news for anybody who has parented or has had twins, but we were sitting our pants at the reality. Slowly, our conversations became dominated by poop. We fell in love with one another's minds and our interaction, and we let that suffer through our commitment to being the best parents to Vittorio and Lozen. We found that our only time together was having a drink once the babies went to bed. And that's when we started to go down a dangerous road, both for our marriage and for me personally. This is the problem. It sneaks up on you. While in treatment, I spoke to Jeremy and my mom and the kids every day on the phone, three calls for 12 minutes. I Zoomed with my family on the weekends. I did my best to show the kids stuff over Zoom. I made them things, painted them rocks, worked on their vocabulary while bringing whatever I could find, an umbrella, a fishing rod to the computer screen. I beamed with pride seeing my strong and beautiful family, and it gave me energy to continue forward. The first couple of days, I was very worried about Jeremy. He wasn't eating or sleeping much, if at all, for the first week. He, too, was in a state of mourning. He had 30 days without me. 60 sleeps, we often joke about. He did 60 put-downs, nap, and bedtime with two crazy toddlers. He was a champion, and so was my mom who came to help. Although structure and discipline isn't really her thing, she was grandma and gave them love and helped cook and clean and worked her butt off. Of course, it is impossible for a 70-year-old to keep up with two toddlers running in opposite directions. So the burden fell on Jeremy, and he had recently had a full knee replacement and was struggling to walk, let alone chase the kids up and down the hill into the chicken coop and everywhere else they could find trouble. Knowing this didn't make it easy for me to go to bed at night. Yes, I finally got to read some books and meditate and work on myself, but my heart broke for my family. The thought of squeezing my kids or cuddling them to bed or hearing their laugh just felt so far away, and I deeply missed it, and I knew that they did too. Today, I am grateful for my 30 days away to read, think, pray, meditate, and learn. Reading and meditation feeds my soul, so does seeing family and friends. I realize now that my soul was slowly starved. And it was all my fault for trying to be strong for my family, for being prideful. In my strength, I was weak. There is no shame if we struggle with alcohol or addiction. Thank you to the beautiful men and women who taught me this. Suffering can purify even the righteous man, and Lord knows my family has suffered from my mistake. Growth is gradual and painful, but worth it. Thank you for listening to me today. Thank you to all the many men and women who reached out during these stressful times. I felt the love and support, and on many tough days, that love and support helped carry me through the hardest time in my life. Hope Solo Speaks is part of the Sirius XM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts. Serious XM Podcasts.